0: Again, we're in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. Remember last week we considered the thought thou shalt swear by God's name. does not mean that we're told to swear or to use God's name in vain. It's the exact opposite. Of course, we understand what the Using God's name improperly is right. We make sure we use His names, His titles, in a respectful way, not when we're angry or surprised or in, in a jovial manner. And it is a command: you shall fear the Lord, serve Him, cling to Him, and swear by His name. And so we consider uh, those thoughts as a as the. Precept of the third commandment. And you remember that was a text found in Deuteronomy 6, 13 that Jesus used to combat one of the devil's temptations. The devil said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give all the kingdoms of this world to you. And the Lord quoted, uh, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Well, the verse I'd like us to consider today is also used by the Lord in one of the temptations that are found in Matthew and Luke. When the devil told Jesus to, uh, took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, to the place where there was a cliff, and said, Jump from here. And the devil misquoted Psalm 91 saying that the angels will are told that they're to catch you, they're to protect you. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy six, verse sixteen, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massah, and that's found earlier in the law of Moses. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God. God tests us, he is not to be tested. So thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God is really like the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before you. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God is taking the place of the Lord. We are to submit to his testing. We are not to test him. So this is a text that or a dagger that Jesus used to strike the devil in the wilderness temptation Now both the Hebrew and Greek words for test or tempt are really neutral depending on the context So if it's used in a positive context God testing his people so it would be translated test if it's used in a negative context of someone pursuing you to cause you to fall into sin, it would be translated tempt. But in Genesis 22, when it says God tempted Abraham, it's really a mistranslation. They should have translated that test because God tempts no one to sin. And the word tempt is a negative uh, is a negative uh, translation of this word, where the word test is also found prove, uh, And God proving us um, to uh, see what's in our hearts and to strengthen our faith. So the point is the teacher tests the pupil. The pupil doesn't test the teacher. What would an instructor feel if if the, the students came into class one day and say, we have a quiz for you. We have a test for you today. Well, they would all get pink slips. Wouldn't they? It's the it's the it's the instructor, the tests. It's not the pupil. Now, of course, with James, we read um, from this text: God is not tempted to sin; He's untemptable. It's actually a a uh, an adjective. It's God is untemptable; He cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does He tempt anyone else to sin. So the word is to, is to put to the test though we find in the Bible people try to force God into a test. And that is improper. Of course, if, we, if people try to force God to, or tempt him to sin, it is, if he acted, he would be contrary to his will. And yet people have sought to provoke God or to test God to do something that is not according to his will. For instance, it was not God's will for Jesus simply to walk to the, the top of a cliff and jump off it. That there's no reason why we, could, we should walk to the top of the Empire State Building and jump off it. There's, it is not the will of God. And yet we see that the devil tempts Jesus and shows his humanity, by the way, because the devil was tempting Jesus to sin. And Jesus was a human as well as God, and so he is and was tempted as in all points like as we are yet without sin. Jesus was a singular dynasty, wasn't he? And the devil threw everything at Jesus that uh, he had to make him fall, only to prove that it was the devil himself, was a, that it was a fallen creature, and it was the devil that fell. I like what Luke says, after the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, Luke says Jesus returned, not with his tail between his legs, not as a defeated foe like Adam. He returned in the power of the Spirit when he went into Galilee to preach the gospel. What a difference between first Adam the second Adam. Adam returned, as it were. What did Adam do after he was tempted and he fell? He hid from God. He was guilty of sin. He was afraid of God. What did Jesus do after he was tempted into the wilderness? He didn't hide. He went out into the open. He went into the synagogues and preached the gospel. He defeated the devil. It was the devil, as it were, that went into hiding. It was Jesus that went out into the open. And so we are to submit to God's testing and not seek to force God into our tests. So the first thought is let God be God. God. That is really what this is saying. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I am the Lord your God, he said. You are not my Lord. You are to submit to my testing. We are creatures of God. We are made by the Lord, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not only a creature of God, you're a child of God, and children submit to their parents. He is the Lord, our God. The first commandment is that God is God. God is our God. It is God that tests us. Am I God to test him? It would be a breach of the first commandment to tempt the Lord. It is It is deifying ourselves to to, uh, seek to put God in a position to be tested. God is perfect in his testing of his people. As for God, his way is perfect. In, in, In a sense, it's also dealing with the second commandment. We're offering strange fire if we're taking God hostage by prerequisiting a test before we obey him. And that's essentially what tempting the Lord was. I will obey you if you are if you pass my test of faithfulness. If you do this, I will do that. Now there are times in the Bible where people do ask for a sign that they want to confirm what God's will is. It's not that they're unbelieving and it's not that they're they're saying I want I'm putting you to the test before I Follow what your command is. They've been given a clear command of what God's will is. And they simply ask for confirmation because of their own weakness and because maybe of their uh, uh, lacking understanding. So in, sometimes in matters that are unknown or difficult, God may allow a sign. Like he, had, he commanded, he offered Ahaz, the king of, of the south, of Judah he said I'm I am going to I'm going def- to defeat the confederacy of the two kings in their and their countries that are seeking to uh, defeat Judah the Syrians and the Israelites the north were confederate against the south and God said it's going to I'm going to bring it I am going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demolish it and he says ask of me a sign to confirm My promise. He offered that to Ahaz, and Ahaz actually said, "I will not tempt the Lord." So he knew what tempting was, by putting God to the test. And and uh, God said, "You're unbelieving because I'm, I'm the one that asked you to give, for me to give you a sign." Again, it is God that proves us. But of course, we read in our. In our offering verse today, it says, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not pour you out a blessing, if you trust me with a tithe. Now some will say, well, there it says to prove it." Well, number one, it's a different Hebrew word. But it's, what it's saying is that God himself is, is testing himself to prove that his word is reliable. You can't outgive the Lord, he's saying. You won't be a loser by being gen, gen, generous and, and faithful. And so it's the pupil that hands the quiz back to the quiz master. It's the, it's the believer that trusts in his God. Let God be God is so important. Uh, you remember, Gideon was concerned that that there were so few of him versus so many. He said, He said, will you not let me have a sign? You remember the sign that he asked for, that the fleece of wool would be dry and the rest of the ground would be wet. And then he asked that if the fleece would be wet, the rest of the ground be dry. And God in his mercy, not that, not that Gideon was saying, unless you obey this, unless you give me these signs, I will not obey you. He was trembling and he was concerned. Was he getting the right message? And was he up to the task? And he was asking God to strengthen his faith. He was not putting God to the test as if, I'll only do this if you uh, give me a sign. Now, if God had said to Gideon, just obey me, I'm not going to give you this sign, you trust that Gideon would have trusted the Lord and just continued. He was not putting God to the test, as it were. Even Jonathan, Jonathan, you remember, was saying, Lord, I, I know we're to be, defeat the Philistines, but we're in the minority. And he said, you remember, to his armor bearer, the man that was with him, he said, uh, if the Philistines react in a certain way when we face them, then we know God has given us the license. If not, and God was merciful to let him have that little fleece himself. Abraham, remember, made an oath and he said to the Lord if you give me victory over these uh, these four kings then I won't take one thing from the booty that I capture when I capture and defeat the kings and God in his mercy was uh, condescended to Abraham and received Abraham's vow so to speak and gave him victory over the kings. He wanted to make sure it was God's will. He didn't know exactly whether he should just take this whole, all these armies on with his little army. And God, in his mercy, of course, gave him liberty and gave him the victory. We are to let God be God. Secondly, God tests and ordains our being tempted. Moses said at Mount Sinai, God has come to prove you. God has come to prove you. And you remember Moses quoted after the Ten Commandments and the people said, you speak with us and not the Lord. We're not going to live if he continues to speak with such power and such demonstration of his Godhead. And Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. In Deuteronomy 8, that other statement that Jesus uses in the temptation wilderness, God came to humble you and to prove you whether you believe that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Bible tells us that God sent Babylonian ambassadors to try Hezekiah to see whether he would give God the glory. And instead of giving God the glory, what was in his heart was pride. He showed all the, the Babylonian ambassadors all God's blessings, but he didn't talk about the, the one who blessed him. And of course, what it did was open up the door for the Babylonians to come down and ransack Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 13 says, the Lord's gonna send allow false prophets among us. You know, we've been studying Jude and and Jude warns the churches about heretics that creep in. And like Paul said in, in, in Acts, and they're going to seek to draw away disciples after them. Well, Why does God allow this? God even ordains it. It says to prove whether we love him or not. He's going to prove our love by allowing a heresy in the church. And even Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, Heresies must come. What heresies do is they, they divide between the professors and the possessors. First Corinthians 11, it says, heresies must come that those that are approved might be manifest. In other words, the those who are faithful to the Lord rise and those that are unfaithful are succumbing to the heresies. So it shows the faithful from the unfaithful. The Lord allows temptations to strengthen our faith, to reveal our level of love, and to reveal our sin. If there's iniquity in our hearts, he certainly ordained the serpent to go into the the garden and tempt Adam and Eve. Satan tempted David to number the armies when God said that he would take care of them and that they would be more numerable. He didn't need to know how many were in his army as if he would boast of the numbers. Acts chapter 5, the Lord allowed Satan to tempt Ananias and Sapphira. Matthew 26, Judas was tempted by the devil and fell to greed and hatred. God tests us and ordains us to be tempted. So we have both the Proving from the Lord's side and even the tempting of the devil. It's proof on God's side. It's temptation to fall on the devil's side. May God help us to trust him. No temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with, with the temptation, make literally the way to escape that you might be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Thirdly, doing God's revealed will is not tempting, but obeying the Lord. Even especially if there are difficult tasks that he reveals to us. He told Israelites that I, I suffered you to hunger in the wilderness. There are times that the Lord suffers us to want. Paul said the same thing. He says, there have been times that I have wanted and times that I have been, had more than enough. What did he say? That God was unfaithful when I was wanting food and wanting money and wanting friends? He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So yes, there are believers that hunger. There are believers that are in horrible conditions in countries where they're being imprisoned and tortured and persecuted. A brother like uh, in, in uh, is it Ryan in, in Afghanistan, praying for the Lord if it please him to release him. But Ryan knows he's in the will of God in, in, in being imprisoned in Afghanistan. Lord sometimes ordains very difficult tasks. Build an ark, and in a 100 years, you're going to see a flood. Moses, or Noah, no doubt, was greatly persecuted by friends and, and foes alike. You fool, there's not a body of water within miles of here. Why are you building such a huge boat? And he had to preach on God's bringing judgment. You've got to repent. You've got to get in the boat when the rains begin. Abraham was tested to offer Isaac. Not a sacrifice, not an animal. He said, offer your son. And Abraham may have struggled through the night. He woke up in the morning and it says he didn't delay. We're told in Hebrews that he he concluded that if God indeed allowed him to offer Isaac, he he would raise him from the dead because he had said that he would have a biological son in his old age. Joseph was sent into Egypt. He was sold by his brothers and sent into Egypt and became a slave and imprisoned. And the Bible says God tried him, tested him for all those years to prepare him to become uh, the uh, leader, the president in Egypt. The exodus itself was a great trial the people of God and for Moses. How about the furnace and the den in Daniel? God tried his servants and their faith was strengthened. They came forth as gold. The cross of Christ was a great trial, but in order for him to save our souls and to obey God, he had to go to the cross. Paul was told that he would suffer before the sufferings came. God was going to prove him. Tempting God is making his response to us a condition of our obedience. Think of it that way. When we tempt God, we are making his response a condition for our obedience. He says, do this. And we say, I will do this if you do that. That is tempting God. And in Israel's case, They were tempted in the past by being deprived of food and water in the wilderness. And so the temptation was they demanded God to bless them or they wouldn't continue to follow him. And so you have both ends. You have when people are deprived, they demand of God something before they'll continue to serve him. But in the future, what did God say? You're going to have plenty. You're going to have more than enough. You're going to have vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to have wells that you didn't dig. So now what would be the temptation? Or that they would tempt God by forgetting him. Tempting God to, to discipline them. They would forget God. He told them to beware of self-sufficiency when you have plenty. So we're to are to be warned about demanding of God and being bitter when we're in want. And we have the other extreme, when we when God gives us more than enough, we have the temptation to be self-sufficient and we tempt God by forgetting him and he needs to chasten us. Next, I believe we can learn from this command that we're to pray about entering into any risky business or dangerous business. Jesus, you remember, was tempted to jump off the cliff. And, and as Christians, Christians have vocations that are dangerous. There are, there are vocations that are dangerous in this world. We've got to know God's will. It's a, it's a dangerous thing to be a police officer these days. How grateful we are to have our New York Sheriffs or New York troopers just a couple doors down. and Think of the uh, harm that, that they face day after day, especially domestic incidents where they're having to go with another partner in two or three cars and they have no idea what's behind the front door. How many of them have been slain as, as uh, criminals are shooting from their window To be a soldier in the army is a dangerous business. A prison guard, an airplane pilot, a roofer, a skyscraper, scraping window cleaner. Think of all the dangerous jobs that we take for granted. How about an electric lineman? Do you know they have to climb the side of the pole that's got ice on it? Because they have to clatch on to the dry part. They're climbing up with their spikes. The icy, if there is an icy part of the, of the pole, they're climbing up the icy part. My neighbor's been a foreman for the lineman for years. You can just see that what it's, the toll it's taken on his hands, on his fingers, the exhaustion, week in and week out. His, his describing, talked to him last week, describing his men. They're exhausted. They'll just fall asleep from one job to another. And you have to wake up and go back up those treacherous poles. How about a coal miner? How grateful we are for the blessings of those that have gone deep into the earth and risked their lives. How about a surgeon? Every surgery could be the loss of their patient. Many dangerous jobs. What should we be praying as we consider a dangerous job? Lord, teach me what your will is. Lord, should I be a fireman? Should I be a policeman? Should I be a coal miner? We pray, Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done. So we ought not rush into these kind of jobs without knowing God's will. I know it's not my will to have been an airplane pilot. I know I would have crashed if I was an air, airplane pilot. You have, a, you have a lazy eye, but you just, I just know that was not for me. That was something you could easily check off the list. But we should be praying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to, to do? Ananias wanted to make sure that it was God's will for him to go and set his hands upon Saul of Tarsus. God said to Ananias, Saul of Tarsus was an was a, uh, a, uh, arch enemy of the church. He had been arresting Christians, men and women, dragging them to prison and speaking against them and seeing them executed for their faith. And God says to Ananias, Ananias, yes, Lord, I want you to go talk to Saul of Tarsus. He's in town. Lord, Do you realize who he is? He's come here. He's arrested believers in Jerusalem. Many have been put to death. Husbands and wives have been separated. Families have been divided. Children have become parentless. And now he's here in Damascus to do the same thing. And you want me to go meet this man? Lord, it's to my death, as it were. And what did he say? He's a chosen vessel. He's a chosen vessel. Trust me. It's not tempting me by going to talk to Saul of Tarsus. So we need to pray about entering into risky business. How often we just, people run roughshod. So let me say next, beware of risky thrills where you presume upon God's protection. That's dangerous. And that's what the Lord says, do not tempt him. The devil tempted the Lord by taking a risky thrill. Just jump from the top of this cliff, and God will protect you. He said his angels will keep you from dashing your foot against the stone. So in other words, you're forcing God's hand of protection when you don't know it's God's will. Jump off the cliff. You're being some kind of evil can and How many bones did he break? What foolishness. What foolishness. To abuse Psalm 91 about God's guardian angels and poor Josiah. Remember, he was a godly king. He had brought, he had brought reform to Jerusalem and, and was getting rid of all the idols and false religions. But he meddled. Pharaoh Nico of Egypt was going to battle with a king, with a, a, a nation up north, and Josiah wanted to meddle with it. He wanted to be part of it. And Pharaoh Nichol said, This isn't your battle. Stay home. It's it's another person's battle, but he but he meddled, and the Bible teaches that he fell. And Jeremiah lamented that Josiah as a fool lost his life as a young king, a godly king, because he he entered into risky business by meddling in someone else's affairs. And Samson risked his life. One too many times, didn't he? Tempting the Lord to deliver him out of his sordid relationships with someone like Delilah and risking his life. And he lost his eyes and died a blind man because he risked his life and presumed upon God's protection. And the Bible says that he wist not that the Spirit of God departed from him. Jehoshaphat almost lost his life by being allied with Ahab in a battle. Jonah could have drowned so easily by disobeying God and entering into a ship going across the Mediterranean Sea. Most dangerous uh, voyage or airplane flight is to have a backslidden believer in the airplane with you or a backslidden believer on the boat in the voyage. Oh, there are so many modern examples. Too many sad tragedies take place because people take risky uh, maneuvers. Think about the woman that went into the water. She was drunk and she went into the water to pet a crocodile. And they begged her, get out of there, quickly get out of there and the crocodile grabbed her and dragged her underneath. Before she went under, she said, I guess I shouldn't have pet him. And the poor woman that was walking her dog too close to the pond last year in Florida, they warned over and over again, do not walk your dogs near ponds and retention ponds. And the crocodile went after her dog and the dog escaped woman was taken underwater. Training wild creatures. Does it surprise us that they're killed by their wild pets? Selfies on cliffs and edges of buildings. Speeding on the highways and we expect and we presume, are we not tempting God to protect us when we speed on highways? Bungee courting. A minister friend that was tempted to, someone else was going to pay for it going to jump from a particular platform and fall very fast before he hit the ground. And he didn't get crushed, but hundreds of blood vessels burst. After all, apparently all the blood had rushed to his cheeks. Learned his lesson. How about mountain climbing? How about parachuting? How about walking to a place where you you read, Beware of dogs. We've, we, we, took that, we took that challenge, and I don't know if I would do that again because I trust the homeowner. If he says, beware of dog, I'm going to believe him. I'm going to leave the tract in the fence post. Uh, there's a little dog when, we, when I have a particular run with a bus every day, and this dog is a Jack Russell. And whenever he hears a bus coming, he runs in circles and he barks Everybody can hear him, and he's growling. Well, I just wanted to stop at the house after the run Friday, just to to meet the family, because I beep, and he says a couple other buses beep too when they pass by. I guess we're provoking the dog when we beep, but I parked and I went up, and the dog wanted everything at me. There was the there was a a uh, gate at the front porch, and I just walked up the sidewalk, and that dog wanted to him right past, and I I wasn't going to pet him, but I said, sir, I just want you to know how much we appreciate your dog, and, and everybody, uh, the kids just love to peel their face against the window and watch the dog run, but I said, would he allow me to pet him? He says, oh no, you, you'd be bleeding without a doubt, but I had a chance to just point him to the Lord and encourage him to read God's word, but I'll believe the owner when We read, no trespassing. It's like Stephen Hamilton said. He said, when I see a sign like that, I'm not going to just presume upon the Lord's protection. Maybe you feel it's God's will to to still reach that door, but you and I are to be very careful about risky business. We're not to tempt the Lord. We're going to trust God's promised protection, though, as we navigate his will, there are times that we face dangers and difficulties that are unexpected as we're doing God's will, like going maybe to a door to reach and they send the dog out, out the front door. Nothing we can do at that point. That happened to us. And poor, poor brother Dan it was pinned against the wall by a Doberman Pinscher. That allowed me the opportunity to go to the front door and talk to the person. So Dan risked his life so we could, we could preach the gospel. Actually, he thought the dog was after me, but he actually went after Dan. But enemies lurk. Imprisonment is threatened. Terrorism is real. Christians volunteer for dangerously necessary jobs. We can trust as we navigate God's will. that We're not presuming upon his protection. We're trusting that. Indeed, the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivers them. In a fallen world, there are unknown and unplanned dangers. A tree limb fell on a car last month next door. Tree limbs have fallen on Christian cars with Christians inside. Car accidents, storms, bullets, our adversary, the devil. We're in a fallen world. We need to factor in that we Face dangers even as we navigate God's will and seek to avoid them unnecessarily. Trust God and keep our gunpowder dry. Trust God and keep our guns loaded. Trust God and pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's not just unbelievers that die from dangerous events. Christians die in house fires. Christians died in 9/11. Christians died in war. Christian police officers die in the line of duty. Christian Coast Guard service people die. Read about that that hurricane in the North Atlantic, and a, a boatsman was struck. was stuck miles out and this Coast Guard went out with four or five men and they knew that they needed to be refueled halfway there and halfway back. But the wind was so furious that the, um, the, the, the tube, the, the, the gas, what do you call it? The, the, the gas line. line was just, they were concerned it was going to get caught in the, in the helicopter blades. And so they had to ditch in the ocean. And one man didn't make it. They were trying to time their jump from the helicopter when the water came up. And not to jump when the, in the trough, but jump when the, when the wave came up close to them. One man died. How you, how you put yourself in harm's way in the will of God. We're not to tempt the Lord. We're to trust him. We're to subject ourselves to tempting even by the devil, and trust God that when it comes that we resist the devil steadfast in the faith, faith and submit to God's testing in our lives and not resist it. But Dare not put God to the test in order for us to obey him. He is the master. He is the teacher. We are the pupils. We are the disciples. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When thou passest through the waters, it's in the will of God, that is, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overthrow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, that is, in the will of God, thou shalt not be burned. Daniel 3. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I have loved thee. Fear not, for I am with thee. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and which maketh a way in the mighty waters. Let us trust, not tempt God. Let us be tested and trust God to pass these tests. It's the teacher that tests the disciple. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Well, Father, we thank thee for these neglected passages. And so often, Lord, we we just are content with not delving into these thoughts. Yet, Lord, we're reminded that. You are the one that molds us, that you are the potter and we are the clay. And so often we rebel against the potter by tempting you, by presuming upon your protection, by walking into trouble on purpose, not seeking to know the will of God and to be led in your will to pray like you taught us Jesus, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. So help us, Lord, to trust you. You are our God. Help us to worship you as you have commanded, to use your name wisely. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we navigate in your will. Teach us, Lord, to do thy will, for thou art our God. Thy spirit is good. Lead us to the land of uprightness. For Jesus' sake, amen. It's turned together, blue hymnals, number seventy-five.